Welcome back to another episode of the Data and AI podcast by Mesh AI. I'm Deepak Venti and joining me again today is DBS. DBS, welcome back. Hey Deepak, how's it going? Not too bad, mate, not too bad. We've got an exciting guest lineup for today. Tell us more. Yeah, so today we've got Dai Mays, a friend and an old colleague of mine. And I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself, Dai. But um, in terms of the topic, WPP have come out with a, a really succinct view on what AI is. You know, it's a, a tough topic to, to, to crack at the moment. Everyone's got a different opinion, but um, uh, really interested in the way that, that you guys have framed it, um, focusing on deployment and the actual usage of, of AI. So I think it's a really nice way of starting to wrap your head around how it can be used as opposed to, you know, these technical definitions that no one can agree on. So um, a really interesting topic today. No doubt we'll dive in and out of various topics around data and tech, but um, hopefully it'll bring it to life a bit better for, for those that are struggling to, to kind of put a single definition on it. So uh, welcome, Dai. Thanks for coming. It's an absolute pleasure uh, to have you here and uh, yeah, look forward to, to discussing the, uh, the content. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Delighted to be here to talk about my favourite subject, which is data first and then AI. So anybody listening will notice a bias towards uh, bringing the word data and um, the opportunity of data in and any available opportunity. Uh, and, and tell us a bit about your role, Di, before we jump into the, the topic. Yes, yeah, so I'm WPP's first ever global head of data and AI. I have been working in data roles since 2007. Before it was cool, uh, I had my first job at Dunhumby and then I moved to Boots. And I, I took this job in WPP because I loved the blank sheet of paper. There had never been one. And initially, I lost sleep because I thought everyone would expect me to centralise everything and build a horrible data lake and take from the agencies and have a big team and a load of messy data and I'd spend tens of millions of dollars. And I thought, actually, we're a creative business. Creativity is about people. And what a brilliant opportunity to be head of data and AI in a, in a creative company. I could think totally different. So we've, we've focused on enablement, uh, thinking differently about data. For me, I obsess about weather data. I think that gets the blame for most things, whether they sell or not sell. And uh, build a data and AI community. We have had award-winning uh, Demystify AI program, really making sure we bring everybody on the journey with us. We were using deep fakes in our training in 2019. So we really have been trying to enjoy this tech, but making it accessible. And then the data and AI community we have has uh, over 3,000 members at WPP. So it's really about making this topic inclusive and accessible. Yeah, I mean, so much of that resonates. I think the first thing is, you don't have to own and operate data uh, to extract value from AI. I think there's an importance of, of people, community, and demystifying what it is. So a great lead onto the topic we're going to talk about today in terms of demystifying what AI is from, a, from an application standpoint, from a deployment standpoint. So um, maybe you could start with just giving us a high-level overview of what those, I think it's six um, different areas are, and maybe we can dive into to each one of those. Yeah. So firstly, I can't take the credit for this, for these genius thinking. Our chief AI officer, Daniel Hume, I, he was interviewed and he described AI in this way. And I thought that is the answer that we've been looking for because we need it deconstructed. It's such a massive topic. So then my role is to bring that into WPP and think about examples of how we might have done it. And I tell you why I really like this, because 
I think most challenges with data and AI is people don't know quite what they want to do with it, or it might be hard to measure, or they're not sure if it's going to really make a sizable difference. But actually starting to deconstruct these big topics can really help uh, drive the requirements to different parts of the business so it becomes more inclusive. So I'm going to go through the six. And then from an ethical, legal, practical perspective, they all have different um, requirements, which I like that too. So the first one, any pedants, and I, and you might pick me up on this too, DBS, not to call you a pedant, uh, but task automation, what do I think you're going to say to that? That's not true AI, it's a if this, then that uh, requirement. But we do talk about that as the first type of uh, AI deployment, and we have been doing that for years with uh, if somebody searches for this, then show them that. If somebody's on this page online, then um, this is the type of ad. So loads of work. That's very that's very mature use of AI that people don't um, often consider. Now we're all into the gen AI uh, being all types of AI, which obviously we know isn't true. So that's the second one is content generation. And we've done loads of work on making sure you use generative AI responsibly and safely. And we've deconstructed that too, because we talk about text and voice and music and code and image and video. And depending what you're creating and what you're using, they all have different uh, considerations. And we have done huge amounts. We've just uh, we've just won um, an award for our, our one of our agencies doing some work on Serena Williams from 2014, I think, playing Serena Williams. 2007 like incredible use cases of content generation and then the third one is human representation so think deep fakes I've just updated my avatar DBS I should have brought her along uh, creepy, I'll be honest. Uh, but then the first one was a bit gulpy and then the original me is a bit dorky so maybe they are enhancing me we'll see um, and then the next three so my favorite, because I am a data person, is extracting complex insights. And early definitions of AI were about replicating humans. But I love the capability of AI to, to do things that humans can't, to see patterns where humans can't. So your old, your old gang, DBS, Wonderman Thompson, um, with their We Counter Hate. Did you see that campaign? Yeah. So yeah. trying to stop uh, Twitter hate speech being shared and more people having to see these vile words or untruths. And that's an incredible piece of work. Humans wouldn't have been able to do that because they very quickly extracted uh, language or sentiment and gave, gave money to charity. That is such a lovely example. And then one I think is, is still got quite a long way to go, but is a very exciting area for AI is human performance enhancement. And AKQA, uh, used AI to control a hand so but we didn't do anything sensible with it it played a video game um but opportunities there I've just read in uh, the paper that somebody who lost a leg in an accident AI from her brain is making that translation layer between her brain and her bionic leg and she's able to walk so I think this is a it's not necessarily WPP's core area but I, I'm loving that for um, really clear benefits to individuals and society. And then the last one is complex decision-making. And to quote our chief AI officer again, he talks about companies don't have data problems or AI problems, they have decision-making problems. And actually using AI 
to uh, unpack where the right people should be, what's the right menu choice, uh, where should be the right uh, lorry in the right place. Um, so that's the sixth. Okay, well, um, so if I can play those back, Di, because I think they layer up into a really nice story. And we are going to talk about uh, AI and AI's replacing humans and the definition of AI. I'm sure we will. But when we think about what they facilitate, so the first is how we automate um, what can be done quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just just the case of uh, the acceleration piece, right? Um, I find it really interesting that we've then got content generation. like, And it's not generative AI. It's the creation of content that is consumed for a reason, mm-hmm. right? So that's kind of the second. And then can we represent humans? That's, that's the third, right? And then I think the fourth one is looking at those three that have come before and learning from them. So can we extract uh, complex ideas and predictions from the data? So you can see it utilizing the first three in number four. And tell me if I'm wrong, uh, anybody here? And then we've got, okay, so now we've made predictions, we've made insights. How do we extend, based on what we've learned so far, the abilities of humans? And for me, that is key. Uh AI is not designed to be a human. It should be designed to make us better as humans. And then the fifth one is the complex decision making, which is like a future of the world where we can do more. And we can make decisions in very, very different ways to what we do now as just humans. Is that a fair playback? Oh, you've taken my words and made them better. Damn you. <laughs> um, I know I, I love I love that. And I, I like that you you've almost uh, buddied them and built iterations of how you get one and then you can move through. And uh, we've always bonded over and need to make the world a better place and humanizing data and using AI to enhance humans, I think is the next is the next generation of that. And I, I think to remember that they they work best together and AI can make humans better, but AI doesn't have heartbreak or or soul. Uh, that's probably a debate for another time. I've I've been in millions of debates of can AI be creative and is generative AI new content? Does that count, etc. But I do I do love the the budding of humans and AI. So the one thing that I I really like about this representation is that it actually makes it so human, and it makes it so relatable to anyone who actually wanted to understand what AI can be applied for. Because oftentimes in the industry, we can use terms like LLMs, large language models, GANs, CNNs, and and actually to people on a day-to-day basis have so much going on in the world. um, And the last thing they need is something to make their world even more complex. And actually by representing it in these these six ways, um, you've just made it so simple for people to understand. Um, And more importantly, it's very relatable to what that means to me on a day-to-day basis. I'd actually like to touch upon the, the first one, if I may, because I picked upon a point that you said that task automation is not usually considered application of AI. And actually, to me, I, I always love this phrase from, from Leonardo da Vinci, right, where simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And if I was to look at something like task automation, that is actually the most simplest, yes, efficient form of applying AI, because 
if we were to look at, for example, what's happening currently within within the medical field, a lot of the initial applications that are being looked at, yes, um, when it comes to diagnosing images and, and going through x-rays and the rest, yes, we can talk about extracting extracts as insights as part of it and, and helping make better decision making. But actually, at its core, it's actually helping doctors just look at tree, better triaging and figuring out where things should go, which perhaps to us who are sitting in front of a laptop for 17 hours a day, that might not seem very efficient. But if you put that in the in the in the right hands, that is arguably a fundamentally game changing capability for them. So, yeah, keen to get your perspective on why we think something like task automation is usually never appreciated in, in say, for example, an office worker's life. I'm going to pick up on on your first point about making this simple because um and to go to old Leonardo um I say to my team if you want to be a good employee like know your subject really well but if you want to be a great employee you need to go the other side to be able to explain it in a really accessible way because you can't dumb this subject down data and AI is enormous it's actually very complicated but in dumbing it down, you take away the opportunity or the magic that it can create. So I do think there's there's a really fine line on making it simple, but making that accessible to create value, whether that be for commercial purposes or medical or you know, make the world a better place. I think that the the genius is in the simplification, but not the not the oversimplifying. So that's why I love these six, because it they are accessible to everybody. Um, and then you talked about medical. If this, then that. I mean, I absolutely love it from a medical perspective. I think actually signposting, clustering people, looking at different signals, and actually uh, as much using the data to generate questions as it does to answer questions. And I and I think in workforce from uh, CVs. From hiring, from interviewing, from uh, people uh, having their employees understanding what they're into, what they want to go to, and actually using if somebody talks about this online or in their presentations, then maybe put them forward for this project. I think from people and processes and actually really giving people fulfillment in their careers by understanding different signals, I think uh, task automation still has a lot of untapped potential to put people and diagnosis and uh, talent and skills and ads obviously from a from a my my world and making uh, making things more relevant I think is probably the the connecting word for a lot of that yeah when I think of task automation I think again back to humans it's enabling humans to do higher value tasks by using AI to do the lower value automation piece and contextual relevance of ads. What can be more contextual than a human understanding of a human? So, um, And then I think about, we had it in our office in lockdown, you know, we normally clean the loose every hour, but actually we put sensors in and if no one had been in, the bathroom then not to clean them and I think there's loads of different ways that we could take away wastage of time and talent by using task automation. Shall we breach uh, the second topic around content generation because it it is a buzz at the moment you know and, and potentially a hype um, because of uh, our, our friend uh, uh, ChatGPT and, and uh, the work that OpenAI have been doing but 
Um, I, I really like the reframing of this away from generative AI, which is a buzzword, into content generation. Um, obviously, WPP comes at this from one angle, Dai. When you talk to clients, when you talk to your business about content generation, how how wide does that really go? Like, uh, I mean, and when we think about what it does, how are we pointing AI in the right place right, to, to get us to outputs, which to your point, are more relevant and more valuable? But there's a layer of where you point it, right? And dare I say, how you point it as well. So I think the layer that helps that decision of where you point it is the risk. And that risk points to where is the LLM come from? Is it your own data? And, and we deconstruct that by what's the training data set? What is the prompt? Uh, and what are you going to do with the output? Because I think from an exploration, we have said to everybody, have fun with this tech. And we, you know, we talk about it, about AI getting a UI and with people being able to access this technology uh, freely and accessibly and they can um, have a play with it and we encourage that and my my boss Stefan Pretorius a WPP CTO said, said to me I think part of the reason why our agencies have adopted this technology so easily is because we've been demystifying AI for everybody for so many years that they they feel confident enough to have a go and have a play and that we will support them so so I think from a creating a mood board an early thought starter. I think everybody should find that technology accessible. You know, see how they might write your marketing strategy or, uh, you know, your your best man speech. Have, have a play, see what happens. And I, but I think if something's going to impact an individual or go out into, into broadcast or deployment in any way, I think the safety checks there are much more... Uh, required to be rigorous and I think that's when you need to make sure you're transparent and you're open and that you think about the copyrights and who owns everything and I people talk about prompts and prompt engineering and that we know we all know on this podcast that's old news and um, but I do think QA is going to become more important and actually people checking that is the brand reflective uh, is, is the imagery or the content coming out, is it accurate, even if it says it is? So I, I think to explore for a thought starter, for just some new thinking and new ideas to use that content, I think that should be for everybody uh, and people should enjoy that. But I do think if it's, gonna, if it's going to be deployed, then there's, there's more risk. Yeah, and dare I say it, Deepak, this links to an upcoming podcast where we're going to talk about our risk assessment framework, which doesn't sound particularly... Uh, sexy dare I say no. uh, but it's super important and I think it's like it's like any technology right you've you've got the creative license to explore but then when you go through to deployment you have to really think about security think about the the safeguards that you put in place I think the the difference here is that there is a very low barrier to deployment and so the accessibility of 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 these LLMs now is that anyone can get their hands on them and the speed at which you can deploy them to negatively impact people is is rapid. Mm -hmm. And so the importance of that safeguarding is huge. Um, but I really, really like the just go and figure it out and, and really test your own preconceived notions that 
you know, it could work or it couldn't work. The only way is to validate it through discovery and, and learning and actually actually getting your hands on it. So I like that. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a good, uh, a good approach. Yeah. And, and I think actually to, to your point that I, you know, where actually a lot of this could be used to initially come up with new ideas and, and look at what you can build. Frankly, I'm, I'm very excited about what organizations can do when actually they, they combine a content generation AI model with their own internal content. So just, just imagine almost having a creative co-pilot working with you, right? It could even be branded by say WPP, right? And you're actually able to provide organizations the ability to use their data, but actually help them get more creative with their own data because we're only as humans able to process so much. And of course, whilst we do have to be mindful of the risk implications of that and copyright and the rest, you know, the optimist in me certainly loves the perspective that you've brought to the table that over here, right? That actually for initial idea creation and hypothesis creation, um, the possibilities for you can end up becoming endless. Uh, whilst, of course, then being mindful of um, some of the risk-based uh, aspects around around utilizing some of this content and making sure it uh, it's been licensed the right way, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I, I I absolutely love that perspective. Deepak, you just you just give me an idea, right? Um, we talk about how we how we set these models with a with a baseline, right? Kids, children are so creative. Imagine if we could baseline an LLM to oh. to remove the the kind of the adult uh, restrictions that we have around creativity. That'd be good. That'd be a good project, man. Give them. I think you've given us an idea for a creativity podcast and what that means on AI. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I do want to talk about data at this point because I'm very passionate about this. Um, you've probably seen my rants on 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 social about the fact that. You know, there's a lot of, of focus on on the AI part, but especially when we look at kind of content generation, the data is so important, right? So you mentioned early on um, that AI is doing us a favor. It's raising the importance of data, uh, putting it back on the agenda. Talk us through how you're seeing that. Like, is it really getting the focus it deserves? And and how can we how can we help to shift the mindset of kind of hype buzz pointy ai into well actually the only reason you're getting where you're going is because of data and all those risks and implications we talked about are because of the data this is my favorite subject at the moment i am immensely grateful to generative ai because i think in the dataverse there's been this obsession with personal data there's been an obsession with companies collecting as much first-party data and then there's been I've seen a lot of confusion with is personal data and first-party data the same and obviously we know that it's a subset and actually third-party cookies and tracking people across the internet I think there's been some behavior and that's been accepted that I I would love to say goodbye to I don't want to be put in a box that I'm a middle-aged mum who likes coupons and of course I will be because that's the infrastructure of PII and you collect stuff and data about people and then you might make a judgment or assumptions or you label them as something and and then that's who they are so for me AI gets us to celebrate unstructured data all the words the pictures uh, the sounds the the sentiments it it gives us an opportunity to think about all the different types of data that are available and 
to move away just from the data that can be completed in a, in a little form or put in a spreadsheet. And I, I love that for AI. I love that for generative AI. Let's celebrate unstructured data. Let's uh, let's celebrate all the other brilliant types of data that are available and the creativity that can be applied to them. Are we ready for that? I mean, we've, we've spent the last 10, 20 years building um, data and platform solutions to uh, consume, ingest, and, and extract value from largely tabular data. In the last sort of five to 10 years, it's been more about images and, and text and unstructured data. But what you're talking about is way beyond that. And I think, you know, we talk about AGI, right? And I've got this real belief that a human cannot be represented by the internet. And that's largely what, what I I mean, they've done amazingly to extract as much intelligence as they have from the internet, but largely that's a, a, a certain type of data. What you're talking about or how I interpret it is way beyond that, where we're actually capturing new types of data at a scale that we've never seen before. Yeah. I mean, that that's a massive shift in a technological, a mindset, I mean, I absolutely agree with this. Like if, if companies really want to change the way they act in, in the future utilizing this type of AI, they have to take that data. And it's it's not just data as, as numbers, but it's the decisions that get made. It's the strategies that happen. It's the reactions that people have. It's the interactions that people have. Like this is a, a huge shift. Uh, are we seeing the, the data, let's call it the data industry, like really? Twigging onto that? Yeah, I mean... No, I think that's a good challenge. I mean, there's a lot of compute there, and I don't know if the sustainability and the ESG goals actually are aligned with this. So I think there's some decisions to make. Um, I, I talk to clients about five traits of data practice, and they're all these, and you've probably heard this because it's not new, but I think it's it's one of those brilliant consulting frameworks that is timeless and, and it's about volume variety value velocity and veracity and I and I think a lot of clients and a lot of companies are still at the veracity stage you know they they think they have no data but actually they've got data that's not clean and then they very much focus on volume whereas I think velocity is where Gen AI and the technology has really enabled some really, I mean, it's just immensely quick, isn't it? But it doesn't have the veracity necessarily. So I, yeah, I do think there's going to be alignment of volume, uh, meeting variety, meeting veracity, meeting velocity. And it's going to be the companies that extract that value and work out where, where the bucks need to be spent in order for the value to come out the other side. And I think that's going to be, and that's a decision making a challenge it's not a data one to me that is so true that's such it i mean we're really gonna have to think hard and it actually brings brings us on to one of your points about decision making mm -hmm. i wonder if um and this is the problem about training a model on modeled data right i mean you could end up in a local minimum of no new intelligence but could we use um the scale of, of what ai facilitates us to help us make those decisions. And you talk about kind of get, getting your hands on it and exploring it and seeing the value of it. You've got this sort of small sample learning to inform. I mean, we're talking huge, right, compared mm. to where we are now. Um, 
are we seeing any kind of early uh, indications of where that focus should be and how do we as uh, the experts and the ones that you know have that creative license from a technology standpoint help to identify where that where that investment i mean it's a huge investment where it should be placed i think there's a there's a consciousness in what's the risk appetite you know is it a business that likes to be first out the door and will take a bit of risk is it a is the nature of the organization one that goes second but tries to go uh, bigger is it an organization that likes to do proof of concepts and then scale out i think I, I think people get stuck on the word strategy. And actually, I say to everyone, what are your decisions that you need to make? Do you centralize? Do you decentralize? What is your organization? Do you give power to your markets or your local brands? Do you uh, do you have a center of excellence that, that likes to be the one that makes the rules? So I, I don't think there is a one size fits all here. I think the companies need to go with their own vibe and do it their way, but they should all be trying. And- and actually, you, you touched upon a very important point there, that, that a lot of times organizations constantly ask themselves the question, what is my data strategy, um, as opposed to actually asking a lot of the questions that you've just mentioned, which is how do you make it very specific to what and how you as an organization function? Um, I was curious upon the part that you mentioned around the five traits of data and the five Vs of data, because of course, being the head of data at WPP, I'm sure you have a set of key objectives and challenges that you sort of look after, but you've got to balance that quite well with your peer as the head of AI within the organization. I can't tell you the number of times I've had this conversation over the last six months where every single head of data has asked us to question what well, what what is it that I should be doing uh, going forward to help facilitate the usage of AI within the organization going forward? And I'd love to get your take on it, on you already know the vision uh, and the way in which yourselves are articulating the usage of AI going forwards. How have you been able to balance that and, and work that out with your peer as, as, the, head of, as the head of data? It's such a good question because it's a, it's a live challenge for me right now. So when I, I set the data philosophy WPP, and I called it philosophy because I said this is the attitude towards data. It isn't, it isn't a plan or a big vision. We we celebrate these um, these philosophies and I talked about access being more important than ownership and not obsessing about personal data and data being used used ethically and with purpose. And one of them was uh, data variety is more important than data volume because I wanted people to think more about the data that they had available to them, be it what the customers are saying when they call in the call center or customer reviews or uh, logistics or your category management. I wanted I wanted our clients to think about what they already had available in different use cases. But but that was in 2019. And obviously I'm, I'm being challenged now, and rightly so, that data volume is important when it comes to uh, large language models, you know, the, the clues in the name. But I, I still believe in a access over ownership. We talk about connect, not collect. So I don't think uh, federated data learning and um, a federated data ecosystem has had its sunny day yet. I think there's still a lot of work to be done that actually people can, can follow our data philosophy. We don't need to own all the data. Let's think purposefully about what we need to access and then 
and then access it. It's much better for sustainability goals if we're not duplicating and moving all this data around all over the place and uh, making changes and not tracking them. So it's, uh, it's an easy way to get good data governance and management. And then for data and AI to be uh, naturally sequential rather than roadmaps that are parallel, which I, I think some companies might find they're doing data over one side and then and then the AI guys are over the other. But I really do want to make sure that I take responsibility of, of both sides of that good data prep um, for brilliant AI work. I'm definitely going to be taking away that statement of yours on, on data variety is more important than volume. Because um, particularly as, as we start to see organizations start to build out this concept of data domains within their organization and look at what does data federation and federated data governance mean to them, um, I think that's where the variety aspect also starts to become a lot more important than just building uh, data swamps or big data lakes uh, that actually focus on the volume but don't really focus on the variety and and the, and the quality of the data. So um, absolutely love that, Di. I'm definitely going to be stealing that from you. Thank you. We've just used, uh, my team are brilliant, we've just used uh, GPT-4 to build a data genie that you put in a challenge and then it looks at what data is available that you could connect to help answer your challenge. And we're doing a bit of a roadshow internally and we're loving the feedback that we've actually used that tech in a really practical way and brought it into our domain to actually celebrate data variety and how you could connect data that you previously wouldn't necessarily have thought could be connected. So I'll, I'll keep you posted on that. I think uh, coming back to the the, the the different areas of AI, I think that piece of uh, what is a data strategy, what is a, an AI strategy, I think pointing them both to the outcome, pointing them both to the contextualization of what is this going to do is so powerful. And I think only when you think about the outcomes should you in, design the solution? And that, that's from a data standpoint, what data should go in, that's from a solution standpoint, what factors should be considered. Um, and I think it really helps to, to bring to life what is possible um, rather than we see a lot of kind of technical components that should form a strategy. And I think, you know, that, that they are important. And, you know, we we focus on, you know, we just released Dara, the app, and it's that the idea is to assess your readiness to develop. So it's like the technical components of being AI ready. Alongside that, you've then got, where can I apply it? Where can I find value? You can't do them in isolation. You have to do them together. Um, we've got a different framework to, to yours. Um, but I think for your business and and for the contextualization of what AI can do, I really, really like these uh, these categories and they, they fall off the page for me. Deepak, we could uh, dive into human versus AI and, um, you know, <laughs> how should we be designing these systems? But I think uh, maybe that we should say that for a follow-up podcast. But Di, I don't know if you want to just leave us with some thoughts on, okay, these are the categorizations. Data should come first. Um, the future is here. We should test it now. But how do we really move forward in getting businesses to move in the right direction in the right way and find the right levels of value. I don't know if you want to just give us a, a final thought on, on how you're going about that and, and how, how people listening can also go about that. Get started. Firstly, explore the tech so you understand it. I expect your listeners already are and rolling their eyes at me for that statement. But make sure uh, that peers are using it because 
it, we've all seen where clients and, and partners and employees go to a conference and they come back with all the buzzwords. So I think deconstructing what's real, what isn't, what's safe, what isn't, what's possible, what isn't, I think having a, a consciousness around the possibility uh, and you match that with big dreams. So I, I think let's start top down and bottom up is, is my approach for everything on uh, thinking big, but starting small so that you can, uh, I think the nudge mentality is always a really good one. And culturally, companies need to create an environment where people can say that didn't work, but can I go back and try again? Can I try something differently? And I think I've seen so many companies where people hide failures and I think that's the biggest sadness with this technology because uh, that's that's part of the fun of it that's how you learn yeah that's how AI learns there we go Right. Thank you so much for those insights. I think we could probably spend an entire podcast episode going through each and every single one of them, but we're very mindful of your time. So for the audience, if they would like to understand a bit more about the work that you're doing and if they'd like to get in touch with you, um, how can they do that? They can find me on Twitter, die.maze. They can find me on LinkedIn, die.maze. Or, uh, or am I going to regret giving you my work email? No, let's do ai at wpp.com. And uh, one of our AI uh genies that are really human uh will come back to you and always love to hear from people guys thank you so much and it was great having you on the podcast thank you for having me that's it for today thanks for listening to this episode of the data and ai podcast from mesh ai for more information head over to our website meshai.com that's mesh-ai.com or get in touch via email podcasts at meshai.com that's mesh-ai.com see you next time